Before thee let my cry come near, O Lord, true to thy word, teach me before thee. We are thankful that you are able to join us today as Pastor Mark Robinette preaches another sermon at Foundation Church here in Mount Sterling, Ohio. If this message is an encouragement to you, and we pray that it will be, please consider taking the time to go to www.foundationfellowshipchurch.org and let us know. Thank you, and may the Lord richly bless you through His Word. Let my lips thy praise confess, yea, of thy word my tongue would sing, Greetings in the name of our Lord Jesus. Greetings. It's wonderful to be with God's people again this morning. The Lord has called us to worship Him. He's called us out of the world and He's called us in, into His church, into fellowship with Him. And so we have a call to worship today. It's a psalm as usual. This is not a psalm of David, but a psalm of Moses, the man of God. The 90th Psalm. So here now, our call to worship the Lord. Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you had formed the earth and the world, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. You return man to dust and say, Return, O children of man. For a thousand years in your sight are but as yesterday when it is past, or as a watch in the night. You sweep them away as with a flood. They are like a dream, like grass that is renewed in the morning. In the morning it flourishes and is renewed. In the evening it fades and withers. For we are brought to an end by your anger. By your wrath we are dismayed. You have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins, in the light of your presence. For all our days pass away under your wrath. We bring our years to an end like a sigh. The years of our life are 70, or even by reason of strength, 80. Yet their span is but toil and trouble. They are soon gone and we fly away. Who considers the power of your anger and your wrath according to the fear of you? So... The scripture says, So teach us to number our days, that we may get a heart of wisdom. Return, O Lord, how long? Have pity on your servants. Satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love, that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. Make us glad for as many days as you have afflicted us, and for as many years as we have seen evil. Let your work be shown to your servants and your glorious power to their children. Let the favor of the Lord our God be upon us, and establish the work of our hands upon us. Yea, establish the work of our hands. Let's pray. Our Father's word tells us 
that you will establish the work of our hands. We gather this morning to be reminded from your word of what that work is. What is it that you have for us to do as your people? What should we be not striving to do? What should we be endeavoring to do on a daily basis? Father, we come because we want to hear you speak to us today. We come believing as your people that when we are gathered together, you are in our midst and we know that you are. I pray that in our prayers, in our reading of your word, in our lifting up our voices in song to you, and by your grace and by your Holy Spirit, as I preach your word today, that you would give us ears to hear, that we might leave today having a clearer understanding of what these works are that we are to do, that you have called us to perform. I pray all this, and we thank you for calling us. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. standing while I read the text for my sermon today. It comes from Paul's first letter to the Thessalonian church. It's chapter 4, verses 9 through 12. Hear now God's word. Now concerning brotherly love, you have no need for anyone to write to you, for you yourselves have been taught by God to love one another. For that indeed is what you are doing to all the brothers throughout Macedonia. But we urge you brothers, to do this more and more and to aspire to live quietly and to mind your own affairs and to work with your hands as we instructed you so that you may walk properly before outsiders and be dependent on no one. Let us pray. God, we know that your word is instructive to us. It is there for teaching and admonishing us and shining light on our path. I pray that you would now speak through me. Help me to be your voice, the voice of your Holy Spirit, that I might minister to each person here at Foundation Church, that we might hear your word and believe it and trust you and do it. In Christ's name, amen. You may be seated. As most of you know, Pastor Mark is in Colorado. He's been laboring there all week with our brothers at Reformation Church, uh, Brother Kevin Swanson, Todd Strausser, and Josh Schuiso. And uh, he'll, he's probably preaching, probably preaching right now out there. So I'm going to try to step into his shoes today and do something a little different. And that is to preach a pastoral sermon, Um, meaning that I have seen and observed things in our congregation that I think I can encourage us in. I think probably, and this isn't false humility, but I think probably the person I'm preaching to most on this particular topic is me. Um, But I think it applies to a lot of us. In fact, over the past couple of years, I've had this almost exact same conversation, I bet with almost every family, with at least one member of every family in the church. And when I start to tell you the conversation, I bet you're going to go, yeah, I had that conversation with them, I remember. I think it was yesterday. And the conversation goes something like this. 
Um, I want to do amazing things for the kingdom. I want to do fantastic, huge things for God and for His glory. But I seem to get buried in the ordinary things of my life, and I'm overwhelmed, I'm tired, and I don't feel like I'm being very fruitful. I don't feel like I'm getting anything done and life is getting away from me. And I could go on and... But does this sound familiar to any of you? You certainly don't feel like you're doing anything amazing for the kingdom most of the time. Interestingly, if you read God's Word, and I'm sure all of you do, if you read through the Bible consistently, I don't think anybody who reads through the Bible would finish the Bible and come away with the thought... I think I'm supposed to do something incredible for the kingdom. I don't, think that, I don't think that will be a natural conclusion you would draw. That it's up to me to do something noteworthy, something sensational for the kingdom of God. There's lots of examples, but consider men, like, uh, men that did great things, like Moses, Gideon, David. I could give a whole bunch of examples. Moses. Out there just tending Jethro's flock. And the Lord comes to him and says, you're my guy to go to Pharaoh and you're going to lead all of God's people out into freedom for the first time in the history of the human race. Remember what Moses says? Who, me? No, no, no. no. I, I don't even know how to talk well. Don't pick me. Pick somebody else. And God says, no, you. And Moses again says, no. No, I'm not the guy. Now, he ended up doing something extraordinary, but he certainly wasn't looking to. Fair enough? How about Gideon? You remember how he fought the Midianites, but where was he before he fought the Midianites? He's hiding, threshing wheat in the wine press, hiding because the Midianites are coming and oppressing Israel. And the Lord comes to him. Here's, here's Gideon's response. This is from the ESV, I think. I think it's kind of funny. When the angel of the Lord comes and says, here's what you're going to do, this extraordinary thing, he says, pardon me, my Lord? <laughs> Excuse me? Gideon replied, how can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest, and I'm the least in my family. You remember this? And he has to go through, prove it to me. Prove it to me that I'm the guy you want. And then he does the fleece, and he does the fleece again. He's doing everything he can to show, not ordinary old me. You got the wrong guy. And then you know the story of David. Pastor Mark has preached to us about it many times. The prophet Samuel comes to anoint the next king of Israel. And where's David? Here's all of his brothers lined up. David's not even there. He's out in the field tending the sheep. And Samuel has to say, you got any other sons? I don't think any of these is the right one. Well, there's Mr. Ordinary out there tending the sheep. That, that's not the one. No, no, bring him. I want to meet him. That's King David. So ordinary, he wasn't even invited to be in the lineup. Kind of reminds me of kickball when I was in fourth grade. It brings back painful memories. So here's the question. Where does this desire to accomplish sensational things for the kingdom come from? Well, I don't know. I, there's probably a lot of ways to answer that. I have one answer. I think part of it is from the revivalism movement. And you say, that doesn't make any sense. Let me explain myself. A uh, little bit of church history here. You, you've all heard of the Great Awakening. 
in the 1700s, and then there was a second Great Awakening with, led by a man named Charles Finney. And Charles Finney's uh, assumption, his approach was that the normal and ordinary preaching of the Word of God is not getting the results. We need to have more conversions. We need to have more enthusiastic stories to tell about people and what the Lord has done for them. And so his approach was to find new methods. We've got to find new methods to get the people a little more excited. We've got to have some revival here. And so he had all these new ways of trying to get people. He called it the method of the bench. You know, get them off the bench and get them up here charging forward, weeping and crying and having these hysterical conversions. Preaching the gospel became more about the results you were getting. Pastors started talking about how many conversions they had. How many people, how many conversions are you having? I had this many last Sunday at my at my meeting. They were more concerned about that than what was happening maybe daily in the hearts and minds of the believers that were listening to them. So you could get a word picture of this, it'd be a contrast between the historic way was planting the acorn and watching the oak tree grow versus Finney's method was like the bamboo shoot. You know, there are some bamboo plants that grow 30 or 40 inches in a day. That's what he was after. Show me that incredible baboon! That's results right there. There was a Reformed pastor named John Nevin who was a contemporary of Charles Finney. And he contrasted Finney's approach with the more traditional, what he called the system of the catechism. This should sound familiar to us. Let me read you a short quote from Pastor Nevin. He said, The old Presbyterian faith into which I was born was based throughout on the idea of covenant family religion. Covenant family religion. Church membership by God's holy act in baptism. And following this, a regular catechetical training of the young. For you young people, catechetical means training by questions and answers. He said, this is what I grew up in. Membership in God's holy act of baptism. Regular catechetical training of the young. With direct reference to their coming to the Lord's table. In one word, all proceeded on the theory of sacramental educational religion. You see the contrast? Pastor Nevin is pointing out one focuses, Finney's approach focuses on this extraordinary emotional highs and lows, but he says the other emphasizes a slow, steady, maturing process. See the difference, the contrast? I think this is some of where, and this is over a hundred years ago, but I think this is where we get some of this desire to, I think it might come from the California gold rush too. I haven't researched this, but you know, nobody got rich quick ever in the history of mankind, I don't think, before the California gold rush. And then there were stories that men went from being poor to being rich in a day. Find a big chunk of gold and you're rich. Is this how the Bible says to get rich? If you read the Proverbs, it says, Wealth gained hastily will dwindle. Proverbs 13.11 But wealth gathered little by little. That's the way that God took for us. So you may have said to me, I don't know why I feel so tired and overwhelmed. I'm not really doing anything extraordinary. I'm just working full time or starting a business or tending a home. 
keeping my home, cooking, cleaning, shopping, taking care of the kids, taking care of the yard, birthing babies, nursing babies, caring for multiple children, educating my children, educating my grandchildren, getting licensed to foster, adopting children, serving my church in multiple capacities, writing a book, teaching a Bible study, preparing for a missions trip, getting married. You know, the list goes on. I don't know why I'm so tired. I've actually said this to people in the last couple of years. I go, I don't know. I just feel like I'm, I'm worn out. And they look at me like, are you serious? You're wondering why you're tired? And then we say, I just wish I could do something really significant for the kingdom. Do I exaggerate? Or is this your life? And mine. So lest you get offended, I'm not questioning the quality of any of those things. Those are all really good things that I just talked about. And I'm doing most of them. And so are many of you. You read in the scripture, you heard in the scripture from Exodus, Jethro said, Moses was doing good things. Moses said, the good thing I'm doing is I'm trying to hear all these, I'm trying to help everybody all at the same time. So the things he was doing were good, but Jethro said, What you are doing is not good. The way you're doing it is not good. So here's the question. Should we be trying to do all of these things? Should we really be looking for a way to take it to a whole new level? To live up to our Facebook page? You know, this is what, this is the person I want to be. I'll say it another way. Is it proper that you and I should make it our goal to be influential? Now, if you had asked me that, I'd say, of course. That's what I've always wanted to do. Ever since I was a little kid, you asked me what I wanted to be when I grew up. I used to say, I don't know, but I want to do something big. I want to have an impact. So that desire is good, but is it, is it the right goal to have? Should that be our objective? I learned something this week as I was uh, studying. Actually, uh, Joy had asked me a question, and it led me back to go back and watch a video by Bob Godfrey, who's a church historian that works down in Florida. And I was listening to him talk about Billy Graham. You've all heard of Billy Graham. A good man of God who spent the better part of his life preaching the gospel. Billy Graham would do these crusades, right? He would rent these big stadiums. He'd go town to town and he would cooperate with the ministers in that town. He'd call them ahead of time and say, hey, I'm coming to your town. Let your church know. And even back then, there were conservative Bible-believing churches, and then there were these liberal, modernist churches, and Billy Graham would reach out to the conservative Bible-believing churches, and they would, they would help him support the uh, crusade. Well, in the mid-50s, he made a decision. He changed his strategy, and he said, I'm going to reach out to the liberal ministers as well at these other churches and try to have a little broader reach. And we could talk a lot about the results of that. I think some of the results of that and of his approach were probably not, were probably not good. But like it or not, that's what he did. And his stated reason for doing that was he thought he could have more influence by casting a little broader net. Bob Godfrey, this church historian, talked about writing a book called The Myth of Influence. We all want to be influential, right? For the kingdom. So here's what Bob Godfrey said. And he's a church historian, so he's not just on a soapbox, you know, stating an opinion here. He says, through the history of the church, it's fascinating how many bad things 
How many bad things have been done in the name of being influential? Hmm. Whereas almost always, and here's the key part, almost always those people who have actually been influential didn't set out to be influential, but set out to be faithful. Wow, when I heard that, that just smacked me in the face. If you want to be influential, don't make that your goal. Make your goal to be faithful. I went back and found an old article from Table Talk magazine again, August of 2014. One of my favorite authors, Michael Horton. And I'm going to read you a brief quote. Please tune in and listen to this, okay? This is Michael Horton. He says, The ordinary Christian life, the ordinary Christian life, is not the opposite of the radical Christian life. It's a false dichotomy. It's not ordinary or radical. The ordinary Christian life is a radical life, a life of daily trusting God, daily repenting of our sins, daily dying to self, daily taking up our crosses and following Christ, daily loving God and our neighbor, and daily proclaiming the gospel to ourselves, our families, our friends, and our communities. And he finishes with this. The ordinary Christian, because I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, I don't want to be ordinary. He says, the ordinary Christian is not a complacent, passionless, nominal, or casual Christian. That's not what an ordinary Christian is. He says, on the contrary, every ordinary Christian is united to Christ by faith and will bear radical life-giving fruit. Who wants to bear radical life-giving fruit? Raise your hand. We all do. So how do we do that? That's what I want to talk about for the next few minutes. And if you don't recognize what he just was referring to in the scripture, it's John 15, 4, when Jesus said, Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. Okay, so you want to bear good fruit for the kingdom? Jesus just told us how to do it. Abide in him. That's a nice church word, right, Derek? Okay, I'm ready to abide in Christ. What does that look like? Michael Horton says, we are restlessly impatient with the ordinary. You could probably write that in the dictionary, and my picture would be in the margin right there. Restlessly impatient with the ordinary. I do believe each of us is called by God That's what the word vocation means, right? Our vocation is what we're called to do. We're all called to do something. Uh, None of us is called to do everything. Are we clear on that one? You're called to do something, but you're not called to do everything. And doing what we're called to do is enough. It's enough to know that we're called by God to maintain a faithful presence in this world. Is that a good goal for us as Christians to maintain a faithful presence I was thinking about this at the funeral of Jason's grandma yesterday and hearing about the life that she led for 89 years. Now, most of us, including me, I only knew grandma in her later years when she was suffering with dementia. I didn't know her when her full personality was kind of in view there. But the people that knew her and her daughter and her son talked about how she was in church and she had her children in church. And later in life, she 
came back to church and was baptized. And I heard about Aunt, your great Aunt Marty. And I heard about these godly people who just were born and lived and lived a godly life and passed the faith on and took people to church. And then they died and the faith has been passed on to the next generation. Here's grandson leading a faithful Christian life. Any of you ever heard of Pat Moorhart? Did she ever write any books? Did she ever give any speeches? Did she ever lead a ministry? Not that I know of. Not in the way that we think of it. But she did something extraordinary. And we were there to celebrate that yesterday with Jason and his family. So what does the Apostle Paul tell us to do in our daily Christian walk? Here are a few. I like, I like theological things like abide in Christ, but I don't know what to do with that. So I like to, give me, give me some things to do. Give me, clarify this. Put some meat on it. So here's some things that Paul says, and most of this is out of Ephesians. Like a lot of his letters, the first part of the book of Ephesians is correct doctrine, and then the second half he says, okay, here's what you do with that. So if you were to ask the Apostle Paul, I don't mean to be crass, but I bet if we could have a conversation and ask him what we should do to live this sustainable Christian life. I love this word. I titled my sermon, The Sustainable Christian Life. I stole this word from Ashley. Because I heard when the ladies were getting together for ladies' night, this was going to be one of their topics of conversation, was how to lead a sustainable life. I thought, that's a great word. Because sustainable means it's got to be something you can do every day, day in, day out, week in, week out, year in, year out. What are those things? Well, Paul tells us. He wrote a letter to these churches. They were probably asking the exact same questions we're asking. And he said, okay, here's some things you can do. In no particular order, here's a few I pulled out. Don't let the sun go down on your wrath. Ephesians 4.26 Labor with your own hand so that you'll have to give to the needy. Don't depend on other people. You heard that in my passage from 1 Thessalonians. He's not saying strive to be rich. He's saying work. Take care of yourself so that you're not needing other people to take care of you. Use your words to edify others. I bet at least 10 times a week in our family, I say, okay, let's say Ephesians 4.29. Do not let any unwholesome talk proceed out of your mouth, but only that which is useful for building others up, that it may minister grace to the hearer. Any of you say this scripture in your house? Paul says, be kind, be tenderhearted, forgiving one another. Wives, submit to your own husbands. I heard earlier in Titus 2, I think, that wives are to, I don't memorize it, love their husbands and be kind to them, I think is what I heard. It didn't say, what's your ministry? It didn't say, are you getting a thousand things accomplished? It said, be kind to your husband and love him. It tells the husbands, love your wives and don't be bitter against them. This is not rocket science stuff, brothers and sisters. This is simple things, maybe not easy things. What are husbands supposed to do? Even when he talked to the elders, when he wrote to Timothy and Titus and gave them qualifications for elders, other than a little apt to teach, most of the other things are don't be given to wine, don't be a brawler, don't be greedy, have your household in order. Pretty ordinary, right? That's what he said was required for people to lead the church. You heard in Exodus 18, Jethro said to Moses, 
You can't do all this yourself. You're wearing yourself out. I hope you heard that part. He said, you're trying to do it all. You're not supposed to do it all. He said, delegate this to some other people. What kind of people? Make sure they fear God and they're not given to bribes. That'll do. <laughs> not that incredible, right? Good men that fear God, that are honest. That's what you're looking for. And they'll, they'll figure it out. By that time, Moses had to be thinking, yeah, but these guys aren't like me. And Jethro goes, yeah, I see how it's going for you. You're trying to do too much. He said, you're going to wear yourself out. Trying to do everything for everybody. Children, obey your parents and the Lord. Honor your father and mother. Servants, obey your masters. You get the idea. I could make a longer list, but these are not uh, incredible, far-reaching things. Pastor Mark has been reminding us for years that God uses weak, broken, small, frail people like us to accomplish things in building his kingdom. And it's accomplished when we do these faithful things on a daily basis. God is extraordinary. We just need to be ordinary in how we serve him. Amen? Is that a fair way to say that? Jesus told us that his kingdom was to grow at an ordinary, sustainable pace. Remember the analogy he used? He said the kingdom of God is like what? Mustard seed. It's the smallest of all the seeds. But he said over time, it's going to grow to be a huge tree and the birds are going to be able to make nests in it. This little thing out of this tiny little seed. Over time. Not the bamboo. Right? Not the 35 inches in a day. Jesus said that's not how the kingdom of God is. The kingdom of God is more like the mustard seed. And if you watch the growth on a daily basis, you go, ordinary. Almost unnoticeably, the kingdom of God grows. Now, of course, there's times here and there where you go, wow, did you see what happened? Wow, did you hear about where the gospel's spreading here? I'm not saying it's not exciting. I'm not saying it shouldn't thrill us. I'm saying it's slow. It's ordinary. It's almost unnoticeable. But it's sustainable. That's something, that's something we can do on a regular basis without burning ourselves out. There's other op- applications, and I'm not going to do you know, Andy's 10 applications to have a happier life, but I talked about building wealth earlier. Whoever gathers little by little will increase wealth, but wealth gained hastily will dwindle. Any of you know people, you've heard of people that won the lottery or they got a huge amount of money, these dot-com billionaires, and then their life is a disaster because the wealth came too quickly and then it dwindled? That's not the way that God has prescribed that things happen in the life of the Christian. They're supposed to have to in an ordinary way. By the way, Jesus was born. Jesus was not ordinary in many senses, of course, but he was born in an ordinary way. Nine months in the womb of this ordinary woman, born unnoticed out here in the stable, right? In an ordinary place, no one even really paying attention. All right, so let's close with some application. What should we do today? If you believe this and you agree with it, then you should because I think God's word prescribes this for us. 
One of the fruits of the Spirit is self-control. I heard it in one of the, I think in Titus 2 also. For to be self-controlled, when I hear that, what I think of is control myself from doing evil things. Control my own lusts. Control my own desires. Control myself from sinning. But the word govern means control. So self-control means we are to be self-governing Christians. We don't need to look to Washington, D.C. or even the State House in Columbus for someone to tell us someone to tell us how to govern ourselves, we should govern ourselves. Right, Steve? Even the city councilman, we shouldn't look to him. Is that your title? Yeah. We shouldn't look to him to govern us. We should govern ourselves. What does that mean? It means saying no to some really good activities. That's what Jethro told Moses. All these things are good, but you need to say no to them. And allowing someone else, and here's the great thing. If you're like me and you like to do the next thing, when you say no to that thing, you're allowing someone else to have the blessing of doing that thing. Moses got to delegate to leaders of hundreds and fifties and tens. He got to get more brothers in on the action. And it took a huge burden off of Moses. Now, I'm not advocating simplifying your life by saying no to everything and hiding in your house. Obviously, that's not what we're about. We have a good pastor who has encouraged us, rightly, to be involved in one another's lives, to be self-sacrificial, to be unselfish, and to do those things for the glory of God. I don't think the Bible instructs us to just say no to everything and to back out. What I am saying as your elder is that I want us to learn to be content with living a sustainable life. How many times does the Bible talk about contentment? And some of the time, the reason we're looking to do the next thing and to add one more thing on is because we're just, we think it's going to make us happy because we're not content. And as we all know, contentment doesn't come from getting that one more thing. It's an issue of the heart. So I'd like us to make it our goal to live a sustainable, ordinary life. I mean, who wants to post that on your Facebook page? thing you know today I lived an ordinary life my life is sustainable today that's not going to impress any of your friends no one's going to repost that or retweet it you know I don't know if any of you are tweeting or twitting or whatever Um, so what do I mean by sustainable and I'm going to close with this with a few a few extra things Don't blame me for this. It's Ashley's word, this word sustainable, okay? I mean establishing some routines that we can practice habitually every day, every year, so that when we're 89 and they're looking at us at our funeral, they'll say, that was a faithful person. I knew them for years and years and years and years. They're doing the things that Christians do. Wouldn't that be a good thing for people to say about you at your funeral? So again, this is not Elder Cusel's 10 Habits to Happy Life. You know, you can have your best life ever, whatever. But I feel confident in saying these are some things that God's Word would have us to do on a daily basis. Here we go. Ready? You young people got your, got your ears on? Got your pencils out? Read God's Word every day. Simple one. And older children and parents and older adults teach it diligently to the next generation. 
memorize it. Tim's been so faithful in reminding us every week, you know, all of my children the last three years, uh, Geneva and up, have memorized all the scriptures. And if I could say, it's not because of anything, I'd, I'd like to believe my children have extraordinary brains. That would make me feel really good as a dad. But I'm telling you, every one of my children has spent at least 50 hours during the year practicing and memorizing the scriptures. I have too. I'm the worst of them. I'm, as I'm getting older, my memory is getting worse. So they always have it way before I do. I'm still, I'm still working on this month's passage. But I'm committed to it. And I would, I would bet, I shouldn't bet. I think, I feel confident that if anybody would daily spend 10 minutes a day, that's about what, what each of us spends, and memorizing, copying, reciting the scriptures, everybody in here age six and up could have every scripture memorized, no problem. And you should. Now, easy for me to say, I've led my family in doing that. I think you should too. It's not that hard. I mean, it takes some effort. But this is one of the daily things, sustainable things we should all be doing. It isn't about any magical formula. It's about taking time to do it every day and making it a habit. Reading books to understand God's Word. I keep talking about Table Talk Magazine or DVDs. There are resources out there. Don't get so into the resources. You spend more time with them than you do in the Word, but they should be going together, right? When you're studying the Catechism or the Confession, it should be pointing you back to the Scriptures, and it will. Pray intentionally. I don't know if you ever pray this way in your family, but sometimes our prayers sound something like this. Lord, we thank you for the day you've given us and pray you bless us and bless all the people that we love and bless us. Do your prayers ever sound like that? Pray intentionally. We need to be thinking, who are we praying for? What are we thanking God for? What are we asking Christ, our advocate, to go to the throne of God for us for. Pray specifically. How many people in the church are you specifically praying for? People abroad, people that you love, people in your family, people that aren't saved. Here's another one. Worship daily with your family. Now, some of you are single. Here's my suggestion to you. We don't do Wednesday night service like we used to we may start doing that again sometime in the future but we go a whole week from sunday to sunday without worshiping with other people most of the time so if you're by yourself if you're single or you don't have older children maybe worship with someone else in the church any of you are welcome to come on over to our house whenever we're worshiping i would love to have more people there worshiping with us call each other and say once a week let's worship with another family i don't know if that works schedule wise but we should be worshiping with other believers all the time. Or at least more regularly than we do. How about this? Singing hymns and psalms and spiritual songs every day. Is that sustainable? Yeah. It is. Now I've just given you five or six things there. And someone may be saying, wow, I just don't have time to, to do all those things. Do you know all the words to the theme song from Frozen? 
Do you know all the words of the Buckeye fight song? If you do, you should learn the words to the Notre Dame fight song. But we know these things because we've played them over and over in our head a thousand times. We should be doing that with God's word. You know the song Cats in the Cradle, that Harry Chapin song? Who's old enough to know that song? You know, about my son turned 10 just the other day. Thanks for the ball, Dad. Come on, let's play. Can you teach me to throw? I said, not today. I got a lot to do. He said, that's okay. And my son went off and said, I still want to be like you, Dad. The dad never had time as his children were growing up. So my, my encouragement to you is, especially to the moms and dads, do you want your children to grow up and say, my mom and dad never had time to pray with me every day? Are you praying with your children every day? Are you teaching them God's Word every day? Are you opening up commentaries and books and talking about it at your table every day? Or are you too busy with all these other things that really are not sustainable because you're doing too much? I don't want any of my kids to come to me later and say, Dad, why didn't you teach me? Why didn't you read God's Word to me? Why didn't you pray with me? I heard about these families that do this. Why isn't this happening in our home? These are the sustainable things that we need to be doing. So I'm not saying back out and don't do anything. I'm saying let's really closely examine the things we're doing. The quantity of things we're doing and the the items themselves and ask ourselves, are these the ordinary sustainable things that a Christian ought to be doing? 1 Timothy 2, 1-3. through This is Paul writing to his brother Timothy. First of all, Then I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people, for kings, and all who are in high positions, that we may lead, here's what he said, this is Paul's desire of Timothy, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. And he says, this is good, and it's pleasing in the sight of God our Savior. So if you're saying, I don't know, Elder Cusel, I don't know if this is pleasing in the sight of God, what you're talking about. Paul says, you want to lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. This is good. In Matthew Henry's commentary on that verse, he says, the summit of the ambition of a good Christian, the summit, the highest point, this is what we're shooting for, The summit of the ambition of a good Christian is to lead a quiet and peaceable life, to get through the world unmolested in a low and private station. That's really ordinary. So here's my charge to you. Slow down, good Christian. Be content with doing the simple things God has called you to do on a daily basis. If you don't know what they are, look into His Word. Read the last half of Ephesians. Read Paul's letters to Timothy and Titus. Lead a quiet and peaceable life. Be vigilant. Be sober. Be of good behavior. Given to hospitality. Patient. Seek to be faithful in the little, the seemingly little things. And maybe then God will make you influential. Amen? Abide in Christ daily and you will bear much good fruit. Let's pray. Father, in this 
zany world that we live in where it seems everybody is vying for our attention, trying to make headlines, trying to do the next amazing, incredible thing. It's tempting. It's tempting to even take that and apply it to our work in your kingdom. We, we love you and our hearts sometimes want to do everything. We want to jump in and we want to make headlines for your kingdom. But I thank you that you have reminded us in your word that our goal ought not to be to be the most influential. Our goal ought to be to lead a quiet, peaceable life, being faithful in the little things, abiding in Christ, and bearing good fruit. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Hello, this is Pastor Mark Robinette of Foundation Church. Thank you for taking the opportunity to listen to our audio sermons. We would love to hear from you if you have any comments, questions, or just to let us know how they served you. Go to our website, www.foundationfellowshipchurch.org, and send us a note. Thank you, and it's a pleasure to serve you.